I will add my welcome this morning. It's good to see everyone. It's good to be um, among God's people on this first day of the week. So it's truly a blessing and truly an honor that we have to be able to come here and to worship our God on this first day of the week. And it is my honor and my pleasure to be able to stand before you and deliver a message from God's Word. I hope that we will all be edified by the words that I bring you this morning. There's an old song that goes, What a Difference a Day Makes. Some in this crowd might remember that song. 24 little hours. Days are mentioned often in Scripture. In fact, days are quite important. They mark the dates of certain events. A day gives us an idea of what needs to be accomplished in a certain time frame. And there's a day in our future that is of the utmost importance. So for our lesson this morning, I would like for us to look at the importance of days. And let's start by looking at the first days. So if you would, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. If we're going to start in the beginning, what better place to start than Genesis chapter 1? Genesis 1.1 is a verse that most people can quote. Most people in the world even can quote this one. This and with John 3.16, probably the most quoted verses out there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. So if we want to talk about the first days... Scripture tells us the first day. If you know the story about creation, you go on and look here in chapter 1. If you look at the end of verse 8, it says, and the second day. And if you come down to verse 13, a third day. Verse 19, a fourth day. Verse 23, a fifth day. And if you come over to the end of chapter 1, verse 31, the sixth day. So we have an account here of everything that took place on the first six days of this world. Six days of creation. Six 24-hour days. We have no reason to believe that these were anything other than six 24-hour days. This is the measure of time that has been used throughout the Bible about how long a day was. So in the beginning here, we have the first days, this, these six days of creation. Six 24-hour days. And this is confirmed when we consider that on the seventh day, God rested. Look in chapter 2 of Genesis, beginning in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. And on the seventh day, God completed his work, which, we, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, 
because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. The psalmist confirms God's creation in Psalm 102, verse 25. Of old thou didst form the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. We know in this and other places about God creating the world. And he did so in six days. And on the seventh day he rested. And we get there from, from verse, the end of verse 2. He rested on the seventh day from all his work. And then on, notice again verse 3. For God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it he rested from all his work which God created and made. God determined that the pattern of working for six days and resting on the seventh day would become a pattern for his children. And that the seventh day would be set apart and it would be an important day. And he has enshrined this idea in the law of Moses. Look over in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. This should be a familiar chapter to us as well. In Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. It will be repeated again in Deuteronomy 5, but here we have it in Exodus chapter 20. Beginning in verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, nor shall your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. Now look at verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This sixth and Sabbath pattern would serve to mark other occasions as well. Look over a couple chapters in chapter 23 of Exodus. Exodus 23, beginning verse 10. And you shall sow your land for six years and gather its yield. But on the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the needy of your people may eat, and whatever they leave the, the beasts of the field may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Verse 12, six days you are to work, but on the seventh day you shall cease from your labor in order that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female slave as well as your stranger may refresh themselves. So here's the pattern. The six and the seven, the seventh. Working six days, resting on the seventh. Sow your land for six years and then give it rest on the seventh year. We also see the counting of days used to establish other occasions. God set up three national feasts. We have those listed here in, in chapter 23, beginning verse 14. It says, three times a year you shall celebrate a feast to me. You shall observe the feast of the unleavened bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you at the appointed time in the month of Abid. For you came out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Also, you shall observe the feast of the harvest, of the first fruits of your labors from where you have sown in the field, and the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather the fruit from your labors in the field. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God. So we have these three feasts here. 
In Exodus 34, we get some idea about this particular one, this Feast of the Harvest. Exodus 34, beginning verse 22, it says, You shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks. Weeks. That is, the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the Feast of the Ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times a year your male shall appear to me before the Lord God of Israel. So here we understand he's talking about these same three feasts. But this he calls it the Feast of Weeks. In Numbers 28, verse 26, And on the, first, uh, on the day of the first fruits, when you present a new grain offering to the Lord in your Feast of Weeks, again, talking about this same feast, you shall have a holy convocation, you shall do no laborious work. So the Feast of the Harvest is also called the Feast of Weeks. Now, why is it called the Feast of Weeks? Well, we look over in Leviticus 23, we can understand, we can get an, uh, an idea of the timing of this. In Leviticus 23, beginning verse 15, says, You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath. From the day when you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and you shall present a grain offering to the Lord. These are all talking about this same feast, feast of the harvest, the feast of weeks. Why is it called the Feast of the Weeks? We get the idea here. He says you count for yourself seven Sabbaths. That would be seven weeks and one day. Because he says you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath and you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. And what's interesting about that is in the Greek, the word for the 50th day is Pentecost. So when we come to the New Testament and we see the day of Pentecost, this is the feast that they're talking about. This is the Feast of Weeks. This is the Feast of Harvest. So this day will therefore be considered a basic unit. It's a way of marking time. Fifty days. Six days in the seventh day. Weeks. Seven days in a week. Let's turn our attention now to today. What's important about today? First, consider this. From Psalm 118, 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? This is the day. When does that apply? Every time the sun comes up. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Each day is a blessing from God. Let me repeat that. Each day is a blessing from God. The psalmist says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's make sure we take time to thank him for each and every day that he makes. There's a concept about today that's expressed in the, in the saying, a day's work for a day's wage. You ever heard that? In Leviticus 19, verse 13, says, you shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. Does that sound like a day's work for a day's wage? Similar language in Deuteronomy 24, 15. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets. For he is poor and sets his heart on it so that he will not cry against you to the Lord and to become a sin to you. A day's work for a day's wage. We're also told 
to take care of any, any animosity that we might have today. Ephesians 4 verse 26 says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. If you have animosity, if you have anger today, you need to take care of it before the sun sets. Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Take care of it today. Jack read from Hebrews 3. Let's turn there and look again. Hebrews 3. The importance of today. Take care, brethren, lest there should be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. But encourage one another. When? Day after day. As long as it is still called today. Lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did when they provoked me. Brethren, we have opportunity today. As long as it is still called today, we have opportunity. We're not promised tomorrow, but we do have today. Take care of any animosity. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Encourage one another today. As long as it is still called today. Each day is a gift from God. Each day is a gift from God. So let's make the most of it. We've been blessed. God has made this day. Let's make the most of it. Finally, let's consider the last days. Let's reaffirm that we are indeed living in the last days. If you turn back to Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. We're living in the last days. This is the last time period on earth. But as we live in these last days, let's understand that there is a last day. Look over in Acts chapter 17. As time goes by, you'll see me coming to Acts 17 quite a lot. It's quite a little joke back in Athens that almost every time I got up to speak, I said something about Acts 17. And I've used it here quite a few times, too. I don't know if you noticed that or not. I'm giving away a little secret. You'll hear me refer to Acts 17 quite a bit. So I love this passage. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to, men all, to all men everywhere that they should repent. Look what it says in verse 31. Why? Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world with righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. God has overlooked the time of ignorance. And what is he doing? Calling on all men everywhere to repent. And why? 
because he's fixed a day that he's going to judge the world. As we think about we're living in the last days, understand that there is a last day for each and every one of us. There's a day of judgment that's ahead of us. 2 Peter 3 and verse 7. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. There is a day out there. That day is also spoken of in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Turn there with me. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 10. It says, when he comes to be glorified in his saints, when? On that day. And to be marveled, and among all whom have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. There's a day. Paul says there in, in, in the Areopagus, in chapter 17 of Acts. God has fixed a day in which he's going to judge the whole world. Paul here writing to the Thessalonians points to that same day, that day. And what will happen on that day? Look back in verse 5 here of 2 Thessalonians 1. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ what's going to happen on that day Paul tells us right here when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution. Those who do not know God and those who do not obey his word. It's a dark day for those people. It's a very dark day for those who have disregarded God. We've studied in Hebrews recently about trampling underfoot the Son of God. It's a very dark day indeed. And that day is getting closer. Also in Hebrews, we've been looking at there, right there in chapter 10, verse 25. As all the more as you see the day drawing near, there's an urgency about it. There's an urgency about that day. So the question comes down to, are you frightened of that day? Are you going to be like these that are frightened of Jesus being revealed from heaven with his angels and flaming fire? That's going to be an awesome sight if we're here to see it. Will you be frightened? Or will you eagerly await it? Are you eagerly awaiting it now? Hebrews 9 and verse 28, So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Ever thought about that? This awesome sight of Jesus' return, if we're here on this earth to see it, are we eagerly awaiting that? Similar language in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Awaiting eagerly. 
In 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8, In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Paul here, looking at the end of his life, says, There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me when? On that day. And not only to me, but also those who have loved his appearing. Are we eagerly awaiting the return of our Lord Jesus Christ? So the message to us, the encouragement to us, the application is to be ready for that day. 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away and a roar of the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God? Because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Are we ready for that day? Are we spotless and blameless? Do we regard each day as the patience of the Lord? He could come back today. He could come back tomorrow. Each day the Lord blesses us with is another opportunity for us to repent. Each day that the Lord blesses us with is another opportunity to tell someone else about repentance. Tell someone else about the Lord our God, the one who made all the heavens and the earth. But there is only one that knows when that day will be. Only one. Matthew 24, verse 36 says, But of that day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son. Think about that. No one knows the hour of the day. Not the angels, not Jesus Christ. There's only one that knows. The Father alone. He knows when that day is. He already has it set. He knows when that day is. So what should we do until that day? What do we do? We just read there from Peter what he's instructing us to do. Titus also, Paul says, Titus 2, beginning in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good works. So what do we do until that day? We live sensibly, 
righteously and godly until the returning of our Lord. And why? Because he has given himself for us. The quote there from verse 14 is the quote of our zeal class who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So what do we do? Until the Lord comes, we're zealous for good deeds. We are zealously serving God until such time as Jesus returns or our death takes us from this world. Brethren, we're not promised tomorrow. What we have is today. As long as there's still sunlight in this day, we have opportunity. We can encourage each other. We can lift each other up. We can tell somebody else about the gospel. There's a lot to do today, isn't there? But we do it day after day. Knowing we're not promised tomorrow, but knowing that the sun comes up tomorrow, we have more opportunity. We have another today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. If you are not a child of God, you should be fearful of that judgment day. You should be fearful of that scene when Jesus coming down out of heaven with his angels in flaming fire. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and do not obey his gospel. But for us, as Christians, we should be eagerly awaiting. John, at the close of his letter of Revelation, says, Come, Lord Jesus. We have that attitude. We have the attitude of saying, Come, Lord Jesus. If you're not a child of God, you can be by doing those things that we've been commanded to do to, do to become a child of God. Hearing and believing and repenting, confessing, being baptized, come up out of that water as a new creation, a new child of God. If as a child of God you're, you've stumbled and you have worry and you worry about that day, Today is the chance to make it right. God is showing us patience by having the sun come up on this day. Take advantage of it. Make things right. If you need the prayers of the congregation, you can let that be known by coming forward as we stand and sing.